0: Run, DeSantis, because Ron DeSantis might be more fashion than Donald Trump, and just a little bit smarter.
1: It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war soon. but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows just because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away, or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong, hey, I'm so sorry, yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snapbook, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done a society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snapbook, don't be surprised when we start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway.
0: Back in the good old days. You could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now that's not the case. So we're gonna sit there and we're gonna bat on these kids we're gonna sit there and say you're gonna owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or thirty thousand dollars if they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest.
1: Now here are your hackers of the week: Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla Welcome back into the SnapHook podcast. A little bit of a break for your hosts as we took a much-needed respite the last week, but we're ha- we're back. We're we're relaxed. Scott's glowing. I mean, it's it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood here.
0: It is a beautiful day, Tim. You know, and and. I don't know if there's ever a good time to take a week off, but, you know, looking at what happens in the news, I don't know that these last, you know, two weeks was a great time for, to take a break from the show.
1: Yeah, it's, it's certainly been uh, eventful. You know, it's, uh, this, one, this one hit close to home for me personally as I shop at those outlets a lot. Um, actually had a trip planned to go get my Oakley sunglasses fixed and um didn't get up there but you know got lucky on that one um but yeah it's been it's it's been a hell of a week it's been it, it you know even on the sports side we'll get into what we missed there but yeah I mean it's it there's been a lot going on you know unfortunately life sometimes gets in the way and you know I've I've had um uh, you know it's, it's that time of the year where your kids have their year-end performances and and sawyer um put on a a wonderful play on uh on tuesday last week and that's our normal recording day and so unfortunately we just were unable to get together
0: well you know what's funny is usually you know we would pass the buck to wednesday night but um you know we had actually tickets to our play i know i i saw on facebook that uh, you and your lovely wife went to y'all's play, you know. I'd love to town. talk
1: about the play I went to. I, I'd love if you have a moment after
0: you talk about yours to, th- we need to discuss this play that I went to. Uh, well, ours was, it was a Sherlock Holmes. Uh, and it was a, you know, modern Sherlock Holmes. But, and and actually we got to meet the actors afterwards. They did a kind of a and a um, So, you know, it just, things just conspired, right, to, to, Keep us from recording this last week, we'll just say. Uh, but oh, I was going to promise our audience, we are not going to skip on the scumbags. We're going to give you two scumbags for, between the two of us, you know, four scumbags total. Because, you know, we didn't give you scumbags last week. We owe those scumbags to you. So you will get them back.
1: Yeah. I mean, the scumbag moves still happened. So we still need to recognize those scummy bags. But, Scott, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, a play by the name of, of Rhinoceros. Have you ever seen that?
0: No, I can't say I have.
1: It was described in the playbill as avant-garde. But, like, my wife and I, I'd like to think we're both pretty intelligent people. My wife is, is a very smart person. We looked at each other Forty-five minutes into this play, and we're like I'm like, do, do do you know what's going on here? And she's like, Oh, thank God, it's, it's it's not just me because we're like it's it was an allegory for the the spread of fascism, essentially, like how fast that things can take over and how things can spread. Um, but this this was a community theater production, low budget, under underacted, overacted in some parts underfunded in others and it just um i'd have to call that one a flop like the first one was like okay it was fun but man this play was this was the weirdest piece of theater i have ever seen in my entire life
0: I think uh, I think the thing is, as you go, you're going to find that to be true. We've been going to the Alley Theater in Houston, you know, for at least ten years, and we're actually we're on the playbill because we've been donating. So you know, we get we get, oh, we get on the
1: playbill as season ticket holders. It, it's part of the reason I'm going to come back next year. It's a nice pat on the back.
0: Yeah, we, we, we're given a hundred dollars a month, you know, so we get you know we we get in that playbill. But I remember one season they did two different Arthur Miller plays actually no wait they well they've done three different arthur miller plays over the years but they did two that all three now janet is kind of giving me the signal all three were that season so he's famous for the crucible he's famous for death of a salesman and then we uh, we watched this other one called after the fall and it was like the worst piece of crap we'd ever seen in our life i mean it, it was it was basically just arthur miller saying here are all my problems. I'm just going to throw them out there. We, we just got sick and tired of it. You know, the death of a salesman, you know, I, I, my wife said that when she was reading that in her English class, she asked her teacher when he finally dies. <laughs> Instead, her teacher busted out laughing. And and uh, it is pretty true. I, I enjoy the crucible because, we you know, we've taught that in junior English a ton. But the thing is, if you've seen one Arthur Miller play, you've seen them all because he, he pretty much tusses, touches on the same themes all the time. But long story short, you will find plays that you just don't like, and that's okay. You know, it's 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 part of the experience.
1: You know, Scott. You know what I didn't do was um, I didn't try and cancel it. I didn't try and take to Facebook and badmouth it. You know, I didn't do any of that. We just left there saying that one wasn't for us. You know, we somewhat enjoyed uh, the first one, which was, um, uh, darn it, it's it's leaving me now. It's a Stephen King one about uh, where, the, where the author gets like, has the accident and he's stranded. Uh, um, oh, it's going to drive me crazy. But either way, we, the first one was okay. It was like two people in the whole play. It was a lot of just the same two people. But this one was just so... Like I, we literally had to look it up. Like we left, we left the play, and we had to look up. Like what was this about? What was what? What did we miss? And then like when it finally hit us, we were like, okay, like I can see like, because everybody like all of a sudden just started putting on a rhinoceros head, right? Like every like one person has a rhinoceros on, and like people are just turning into rhinoceroses, and it's supposed to be like as fascism takes over. You know, you just become someone who's willing to tear stuff down. You turn into rhinoceros and run people over, yada, yada, yada. But it was just so not clear. and <laughs> It was just so hard to pick up on that. Like, I just, I've never felt stupider. <laughs> I've just never felt like something went right over my head since I graduated high school.
0: So, yeah, uh, uh, before we get into our topic for this evening, um, and I'll let Tim introduce it. I, I you know, when you mentioned that, you know the the whole idea of the play, the, it's like I don't know if you watched the Smurfs growing up,
1: minimally. I mean, like not religiously. I was more of a Power Rangers kid, but uh, like I'm aware of of the Smurfs and and what is basically socialism slash communism of blue people.
0: Well, it's funny, you know, about the Smurfs they were Hanna Barbera, and Hanna Barbera basically. Their creativity was limited, and so like you, know, you see, like the Jetsons, and you know, and the Flintstones are like you know basically the, almost the same. And then you had you know Scooby Doo. So you had Scooby Doo and Astro are the same dog. I mean, they're just different colors, right? Well, the funny thing about the Smurfs was there was an episode where they started biting each other and turning purple, and they would say "gnap." And so all of a sudden, all 100 Smurfs, because there was always 100 Smurfs, all 100 Smurfs turned into these purple Gannap people. And and, And it's funny is that that is the only episode of the Smurfs after 30 years that I can, you know, 30 plus years that I can remember vividly. I don't know. Go figure. Right. But you know, we'll, we'll uh, I think we've kind of run this thing into the ground. Uh, Tim had a great idea for a show topic this week. So I'm going to let him uh, introduce it here for you guys.
1: Yeah, Scott. So honestly, this goes back to, in my mind, about a year ago. um, I went, you, you, you had your golf a-thon. I went down to San Antonio to play in a charity scramble with one of my fraternity brothers. And Um, you know, I, I stayed at his house that night and he's like, Hey, my wife is making enchiladas and I'm like, awesome. Fantastic. I love enchiladas. And then when I got there, what was served to me was not what you and I, as you know, Tex-Mex eaters would consider enchiladas. This was like a, uh, a hard fried tortilla with like a, a, boiled eggs and beef and all this other stuff and you know through the conversation you know her wife's family's from El Salvador and in El Salvador that's what enchiladas are and then my wife's mom last summer went to Spain and uh, she she did what's called the Camino walk which is you know a very long walk um that was basically the walk that's just you know that the disciples took, I think, is is something along those lines. She could be a great guest later on to explain it. But she takes this Camino walk. She's in Spain for 45 days. And over there, tortillas are made of egg. Tortillas are almost like what we would consider an omelet today is what a tortilla is, a very thin egg, um, pan-fried, and then you roll your food in that. And and it got me thinking, just on a food only at first – it's crazy what, you know, from Spain, these guys migrate for colonization or they come over here and they don't quite have the same ingredients available, but they're missing what they had at home. So they, they make something different. Now that's how, you know, Spanish influences come to all these other places and colonization has changed the world. And that's kind of how the thought process started, Scott. But then as, as you sit there and you you think more and more about it, every bit of the world that we live in today is shaped by really the, the colonization that started with with Christopher Columbus. It, it, it's shaped by not only that, even the Norse, um, you know, Vikings that that settled in in the Minnesota, in the Canada area, uh, in the early one thousands area. Our whole culture today, really, I, but I think more um, really can be traced back in a large way to Spain, Portugal in England deciding to colonize and extract wealth. And I think it's going to be a really interesting topic for us to look at here today.
0: So I taught world history for probably out of, you know, out of the 25 years I taught, I probably taught for five or six years. Uh, cause I've been a counselor. I was a counselor for three years. I've been, um, in support facilitation for roughly 10 years. And, um, you know I did some English, I did some you know other you know geography, you know other things like that. so when, whenever I look at history, there are really two rules that I want to go by, and this is you know the things that kind of bug me. Number one, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase before, but past is prologue. I don't know if you've heard that phrase, but basically what that means is that everything that's happening now is happening because of stuff that happened before. And we're going to get to how the modern effects, we're going to get to that later. Uh, But I, but I always want to give a teaser for what's coming. And that's, what's coming is that basically what you're experiencing right now is based on what's happened before. And I think number two, because you brought up the, the key guy, Christopher Columbus. Now, the problem with somebody like Christopher Columbus is that there really is no middle ground on him. When we were in kindergarten, first and second grade, and I don't know if your experience is the same as mine, but, you know, Christopher Columbus was this great guy,
1: smart guy,
0: great guy, came over here, brilliant guy um, from Spain, which he wasn't from Spain. He was Italian. And, you know, oh, and, and everything we owe to him. Now, lo and behold, what happens is that, you know, Tim and I go to college. We find out some different things about Christopher Columbus and he becomes historical version of a scumbag and so people look at him like oh he's the most evil person that ever lived with the exception of very few people in history i don't think anybody is either really really good or really really bad i think they exist in their time and they're dealing with you know Things in their time. And so one of the ways that I taught, uh, I s- sought to teach history instead of teaching kids dates is I set to say, okay, here's the stuff that they were dealing with. Here's the decisions that they made. Now I'm going to put you in that same situation and you have the same knowledge that they do. What decision would you make? And in many cases, it, it might be the same. It might be different. And, and I think, you know, we could call Christopher Columbus a scumbag, but the thing is, is that He existed in 15th century. So, you know, what are the, the, you know, the norms, the moral norms, you know, the ethical norms for people living in that time period? You know, and was he far outside of
1: it? Yeah, he was far outside of it. I personally would categorize him in the same category as a Joseph Stalin, a uh, Hitler, a one of those people who committed giant enormous acts of genocide because that is what he did he absolutely is is in the beyond scumbag he is by he's a he's a bastard he is in that category scott i'm I'm sorry like for for me there is no middle ground on columbus like even when he got back to spain he was not received well because he literally brought people back like they were exhibits like he Columbus is a bad guy. I mean, it start, but that's what's the start of colonization. Is you had a bad guy over there, going over there, looking to gain wealth and 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 show that all this was worth the investment that was made. So, I mean, it's really the start of somewhat capitalism, not quite, because that starts with the uh, in, uh, the the Dutch East, actually the English East India, the English East India Company, uh, is, is the first capitalistic adventure, but. But when you have someone going over there literally with the with the thought process of "I need to make money in this to make it worth it he was he was never going to do something good
0: well let's let's be fair um the Native American population the natives you know they were decimated, however, they were decimated mainly by smallpox and There is no way in 1492 that you could sit there and and have anybody, shoot, even if you're going to go Galileo, would sit there and go, you know what? If we expose our germs to these people that have never seen our germs before, we could kill about 75% of that population. They had no idea. They had no earthly clue. However, but that's one of the funny accidents of history, and it's not funny for a lot of these participants. But basically that's where we see the dominoes fall. Where okay, we wanna subjugate these people, but wait a minute, these people can't be subjugated because they're dying. So we need to find a new labor source. Where can we find this new labor source? Huh these people seem to be immune to our germs. Let's try them. And and these are kind of the things that, you know that and I don't think, call it happy accident is is a, an extremely grotesque term, but um, these are the things that I think are unplanned that kind of, you know, as history kind of turns over. And so Christopher Columbus, was he a murderer? Sure. But I think when we look at what happened in the new world, you know, I don't think there was going to be any way that they were going to avoid that much death and destruction because quite frankly... They just didn't understand how disease works. And that and that's part of the I problem. Mean, that's fine.
1: We can agree to disagree on the disease part. But I mean, Columbus literally like he rounded up Arawak men, women and children, locked him in pens, um, sent him to a slave market in the south of Spain. His second time he went back. So like even once he went there the first time, he went back with the purpose of I'm getting slaves. So. I, I'll agree to disagree with uh, you, but like i I am on record of um i I put this guy up there with with the worst of the worst and and that's the guy who started colonization, though. So if you have someone who, in my mind, at least me is one of the worst hundred people in the history of the world, um uh, and that's who's the first one going over there extracting wealth at this level, we're ready off to a bad start in colonization because now when, when Portugal gets over there, they're seeing what's happening. When England, England sees what's happening, they want to get involved in the process. And now, you know, it's, it's, not, it's a literal arms race at that point to, hey, we need to claim some territory. We need to find some space. We need someone to subjugate. And here we go to carving up the rest of the world in the, in the sake of exploration.
0: Well, so much when we're talking about the scumbags of this period, so much is, is going to be qualitative rather than quantitative. Uh so when I look at who I think I think is the biggest scumbag, um I'm looking at Hernan Cortez or Francisco Pizarro. Um and mainly the reason I'm looking at that is because, you know, the the Incas and the Aztecs were such, you know, wonderful civilizations that, you know, We're absolutely decimated, you know, by these guys. Uh, But I think what happens with Columbus is obviously, you know, everybody knows the story that Columbus is looking for a new path to China and India and has no idea that the new world's here. And so all of a sudden we need to be able to justify the fact that, oh shit, um, all those, you know, all these spices and things that we were planning on getting and they're not here. So, Oh shit! We need to. (laughs) We have to justify, you know, spending all this, you know, all this money to get over here. What can we find? Well, obviously, that depends on, you know, who who is coming, where they're coming, and what they stumble into. Because we know the Spaniards and the Portuguese find something very different from the English and the Dutch and the Vikings because of where they ended up going to, and so the economic responses, I mean, I, I think are virtually the same. I mean, we're we're basically pillaging the land, we're taking what's ever there for our own. But it's it's kinda you know, it, it kind of pushes forward what ends up happening is that, you know, when you're raping the land and you're raping the people and you're stealing what's there, when it comes time for them to be independent, what do they have? You've stolen everything. I mean the Aztecs had gold you know coming out of their ears the Incas had gold coming out of their ears the Mayans brilliant civilization and we're still not sure what happened to the Mayans um but you know we could probably as harbors to guess but what, what you know what does the country of Mexico have left after you know the Spaniards and the Portuguese have pillaged everything uh, and so that's that's kind of you know what we're looking at and so to me my biggest my biggest scumbag i think is cortez because to me the aztec civilization was a you know a great civilization that we could have you know worked with learned from now we just wiped them off the face of the earth absolutely uh, and when you look at colonization
1: too there's there's you and i talk about this in one of our pre show conversations, there's some distinct phases, right? And and the Spanish and the Portuguese really are the first ones to get in on it. But it's also when you look at the history of it, they're the first ones who had those big armadas, who had the capabilities um, to go after it that way. And as as the English really saw what was happening, they realized they were missing out. They, they had an opportunity um, to head to the new world as well. And then you start to see the Mayflower obviously land in in, uh, Plymouth Bay and the colonists spread out there. But the English spread out much further than that as well. You know, they they really take what Spain does and they explode it because the English had colonies for different purposes. Right. You know, Australia was was a debtor's prison for the longest time. And (laughs) that explains some of why Australia is the way it is today. But if, if you could end up on a boat to Australia for stealing a shirt from a shop, you know, it was, it was an out, unbelievably crazy um, place and a crazy world that you could live in. But England kind of just started taking over places and they would go in. And it's almost what like the CIA does today with America. Where you befriend a local warlord, help back them, let them take over. Now they're the local ruler. They pay tribute back to you and you get to extract the wealth from this country. And it's they looked at what Spain and Portugal were doing and and man, Scott, did they did they turn it up to a whole nother level?
0: Well, what the English did is the English, you know, were very smart in that um because you mentioned capitalism. I you know, Mercantilism I mean you could consider that to be kind of an early precursor, but
1: well i mentioned I, I mentioned capitalism because you legitimately had stocks being sold um, in a company for the first time ever where the public could come in and buy uh, a portion of the you know the East India Company, but it was the first time ever that a public company was literally traded like that
0: yeah we 're investing we 're investing in the in the enterprise, but what the English figured out was the English figured out. How do we sustain this? That's what they figured out. Because the problem with the Spanish and the Portuguese is once you get all the gold, it's gone. There's no more. You you, you can't manufacture gold. And so once they got all the gold, it presented two problems. Number one, it flooded the market. And so they didn't understand, you know, market forces because, you know, there was no, it wasn't really any kind of an understanding of market back in those days. And so they didn't understand that, you know, okay, you got a shit ton of gold, but now your gold is not as valuable as it used to be because you got a shit ton of it all at once. Um, but the English figured out, they figured out with triangular trade, they figured out that, okay, we can use renewable resources crops. We can continue to grow these crops. And so we'll never run out of these. And so we just continue to produce, produce. So that's when we start to see like, you know, cotton, you start to see sugar cane, we start to see, uh, but in different areas of the world, you know, basically running through and it's funny in a world history class, we were just talking today, um, just the other day about Gandhi and about the thought laws in India where the people were not, you know, the English would not let them sell their own salt. The English had to sell it. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, just, you know, the English figured out, okay, what can we find here that will never run out of stock? Okay, so the way triangular trade works, if we have any world history students that are listening that maybe didn't pay attention first time around, is that you know we have a source of labor in Africa we have the raw materials here in the colonies but we don't have the factories in the colonies the factories are back in England and so we're going to send the raw materials back over to England they're going to manufacture or turn these raw materials into finished products so you know we're talking our tobacco we're talking our, our sugar we're talking our cotton We're talking all of these things that we're going to turn into finished products. We're going to sell them, you know, maybe, well, not really so much to Africa, but we're going to sell them in the new world. We're going to sell them around. And so, you know, it's just, it's perpetual. And that's what the British figured out. Um, The Spaniards and the Portuguese, they're looking for gold. They conquered the Incas, great. Conquered the Aztecs, great. What do you have left? Once you've conquered them and you've taken all their gold,
1: yeah, the English were much more willing to dabble in that, that chattel slavery than than the Spanish were. At least early on, the, the Spanish definitely got involved in it um, at its at its peak of the triangle or of the triangle trade. But you know, when at least in the fifteenth and sixteen hundreds. You know, and, and really 1700s as well, when, when you're looking at some of the early part of it, when, when England was, was going into Africa, they were going there to kidnap to kidnap people and, and sell them into slavery. And so th- that outpost that they set up there, you're right, they set up outposts in areas that they could, you know, continually have supply for, for what they wanted to keep doing. It wasn't about pillaging at that point for the English as much as it was, you know, curating co- a sustainable ecosystem. Um, It was an immoral one, 1,000%, but they had figured out a system uh, that they were able to keep going for, you know, damn near 200 years
0: at that point. Well, let's keep in mind on the morality front that tribes in Africa were selling each other. So, I mean, we, we, you know. I mean, that's how it
1: started. But, I mean, we absolutely got to a point where people were being kidnapped and, I mean, we can always look at what people believed at the time, but you can go back to that time. And there was quite a bit of the population that was adamant that slavery was wrong. So, I mean, I don't want to be that guy who's sitting here slapping everybody on the, uh, you know, saying you were wrong, but
0: they were. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, but that, that's part of the English model is that, you know, human capital is sustainable. I mean, it's reproduced, you know, and so that that's the way these things go, right? Um, what's funny about the new world, and if we, we're talking specifically about the new world, and, and this is where you know, obviously, who is the best arbiter to divide up the new world? Well, the best arbiter is obviously the Pope. So, what does the Pope, what does the Pope do? He he draws this line of demarcation, is what he calls it. Now, if you're thinking about it and you're looking at the new world, what would make perfect sense is to draw a horizontal line. He didn't do that. Yeah, it's vertical. It's <laughs> a vertical line. And so when you're looking at it, and it's like, well, most of South America exists on one side of the line, and most of you know Central America and Mexico exist on the other. So Central America, Mexico is on the Spanish side. South America is on the Portuguese side. That's why our friends from Brazil speak Portuguese, and they don't speak Spanish, you know, which are similar languages. But, you know... Not exactly the same, obviously, Um, but then, you know, obviously you get in and we have to do the same. And, you know, later on in Africa, you know, we have to sit there, the, the countries in Europe, I mean, and just imagine yourself saying this out loud, countries in Europe, how do we divide up this territory, which isn't ours? Okay, you get this, you get this, you get this, you get this. Everybody wants South Africa because they're the ones that have the diamonds. So, you know, I don't know who's going to get that. And so, I mean, obviously the people of Africa don't have a say in that. They they shouldn't have a say in their own, you know, self-interest because they're the ones that live there. It should be up to Europe. Let Europe divide it all up. And so basically we're dividing up the world and we do the same. Uh, I mean, you, you look at what what's happening over in Asia after we figure out a way to get there. We're doing the same thing in China. We're doing the same thing in Japan. We're doing the same thing, you know, Korea and all those other countries as well. Uh, so is it any wonder that any kind of a, you know, a relationship that we might have with the world – is is warped and straight after centuries
1: of this oh and i think this is also too a great point to enter in with racism this is this is truly where racism starts to come into play in the world i think beforehand you had you know classism you had you know, what What bloodline did your family come from? But now we're literally seeing, for the first time as as the world, truly different races, right? If you've only ever lived in Europe, you know, maybe you've seen some different shades of, of, of people, of European. But for the most part, Europeans, you know, are going to look fairly similar. Well, now you're going to Mexico. Now you're going to Africa. And all of a sudden, you think these people are darker than me. I'm automatically, they don't speak English. <laughs> Idiots, I'm better than them. So it's it's this is we start to truly see racism come into play of I'm white, I'm better than these people, I can rule these people, I deserve all their resources. And it's where it really creeps into into the thought process of the world and into the European thought process as well, as they start to expand their culture and see that other people are living in ways that they deem lesser than the way that they would live, so automatically those people are lesser of a race than the white Europeans.
0: So to kind of put a name to what Tim is just talking about right here, and so this is where you had, um, and and this is the difference between the way the English did things and the way that uh, the Spaniards and the Portuguese did things. Um, in England, yeah, you yeah, yeah. had poor. You had in here in the New World, you had poor people, and you had people who had wealth. However, there was no sense that you were lesser of a human. If we're talking about all white people, okay. Remember, we had the slaves, and we're 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 going to set them aside. But what's funny about what the Spaniards did is the Spaniards have so there's a group of people we call mestizos, which is when a Spaniard has a relationship with a native, you know, a native American. Their offspring is called a mestizo. They're on a certain level. Then there is a mulatto, which is when, you know, the Spaniard has a relationship with a slave and they're below the mestizo. So, I mean, we're setting up, you know, we, we, we associate the caste system with India, but you know, we're setting up a a caste system and this caste system perpetuates itself over time. Uh, the people who were full-blooded Spaniards who were here, they owned all the land. They are still the wealthy. Their ancestors are the wealthy people in Mexico and Central America. And then you had people who were, I think, of pure Spanish blood but not born in Spain. So they're just a little bit under that, but stay, they still are living you know, the good life. And so what you see is you don't see any upward mobility. And that's the reason why I think, you know, particularly things in Mexico and Central America are the way they are is that, you know, people want to flee to the United States because you you want upward mobility. You want to sit there and say, hey, can I work hard and improve my lot? And that's the same thing uh, your ancestors that came over here did. It's the same thing my ancestors came over here did. My great great grandfather was uh, what we call a cobbler, uh, which is a shoemaker. Shoe man, yeah, yeah, shoe guy. And and they and his his sons, you know, all you know, they they. My great grandparents had seventeen children. Only eleven survived to adulthood. The way they would keep him sustained is they would bring their shoes and let him fix the shoes. Okay, he maybe had second or third grade education. Um, not much. My grandfather was the same. My grandfather, what's funny is, is that he went went very early on when he was in third or fourth grade, he goes to work for his uncle at his grocery store. And my great grandfather doesn't know this because my grandfather showed up to school one day a year. And do you remember what, do you know what day that was? Picture day. That's right, picture day. He didn't know what class he was in. I mean, he'd go walk into this room. He'd be like a foot taller than everybody and he'd stand in there and he'd take a picture. But, you know, he'd show the picture to his father. Look, I'm in school. But, you know, so, you know, my father is the first of his whole family, you know, not only to graduate from college, but graduate from high school. That's the way things have gone in the United States is that, you know, if you work hard over time, you move ahead. Problem is in Mexico, Central America, you know, and, and, and in some cases, South America, but maybe not quite, you know, as universal around the continent, you're stuck. If you're a mestizo, you're a mestizo. If you're a mulatto, you're a mulatto. Um, if you're purebred white, hey, congratulations, good for you. You get property and you get to be rich. And that's, in, and that's how things have been.
1: And, and the reason the way that is, Scott, is because the one place where it overturned, the one place where um, the slave population said, we've had enough of that, and they were not happy with the way things were cast, is Haiti. You know, and they, it, Haiti is a slave colony that revolted against that system you described exactly. They didn't like being subjugated by white masters. They got rid of the white people. Well, then the mulattoes started trying to act like they were better than the slaves. Well, they got rid of the mulattoes too. And then the rest of the white world looked over and said, we cannot let our colonies see what's going on here. They'll be trying to do the same thing. So what do they do? They go about doing everything they can to make sure Haiti never has a chance to survive as a country. And look where Haiti is today all because slaves didn't want to be slaves anymore. We've economically destroyed an entire country for damn near 200 years because we didn't want other countries in Africa to see that they could do that as well. That's what, that's what Haiti was. Haiti was exactly what you're talking about, Scott. And they said, we're had, we've had enough of that. And they refused to live that way. And that's what is, is it's disgusting. that the Dominican Republic still exists. And, and, the way that it does when you look at they betrayed Haiti. You know the Dominican Republic is there because that's where all the rich landowners ran to when when the Haitian overthrow happened.
0: Well, you're talking about a shithole country now. You know when you're talking about Haiti. You know according to our last because president, because we made
1: right because we made it a shithole. Yeah. We did everything we could to shit on Haiti because we didn't want them to succeed because we didn't want African country or African colonies saying. We can kill all the white people and be okay.
0: Let's do it. Here's what's funny. You mentioned that, that whole Island, but the thing, but you know, to back us up here a second, the English, I don't know if this is because they had to do it this way. You know, you could debate this, but they believed more in self-governance. So the colonies pretty much, you know, they were governing themselves for 150 years before the king of england went like wait a minute this is getting too costly i need to raise my raise some taxes here and then the whole you know revolt started whereas the spaniards and the portuguese going to like no 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 no, the self-governance thing no no <laughs> we're not doing that we're going to send over some powerful governors and they you know we're going to do things our way but you mentioned this and and, and i and to our credit and in. in Our school, we showed a video to the world geography students about Haiti and the Dominican Republic. It's the same damn island. It's the same damn island. The Haiti half is a hellscape. The Dominican Republic, I don't know if I'd consider it paradise, but you know, they're doing good. And the thing here's the thing about the Dominican Republic they are so draconian that I think they would make our last president blush because here's what they did everywhere in the world. And I think, you know, Trump was playing around with this. He he made statements about this, but I don't think anybody would ever seriously consider the whole idea is that if I am born in a country, I'm a citizen of that country. I'm a naturalized citizen. That's the way this works. Does't work that way in the Dominican Republic, okay? The Dominican Republic decided to take that away, because what they saw was they saw that there were Haitians that were over here in the Dominican Republic, and they had babies in the Dominican Republic, and oh shit, we can't have this. We can't be taking care of these people. So they would kick them out of the country even if they were born in the Dominican Republic. And it was fairly easy to point out because, like you said, I mean, as they were a former slave state. And so, you know, not to be indelicate, but the people in Haiti are just a little darker than the people in Dominican Republic. And so the, the people in Dominican Re- Republic can quickly figure out, OK, all right, who here is really Dominican Republic? And who here is really Haitian, even though they're born here? Oh, you're darker. Uh, you know, you're yeah. And that's what they've done. I mean they've done everything but build up a wall with East German wall guards. I mean that's the only thing they haven't done. And and it's just it's the most despicable thing I mean anybody could ever see.
1: So you mentioned American colonialism and and uh, you know the the 13 colonies finally having uh their tipping point and many people would say that that, that was a long time coming, right? It was inevitable. It 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 was going to happen that way when you had felt like you had been governing yourself for as long as you've had why would you need to continue to chip back to a king and 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 that's one thought process um, when you look at the actual numbers it's something like a third of colonists actually wanted a revolution and it was a, it was a loud third and you know here we are now but in that time period around 1760s you know the international slave trade is is supposed to go away england bans england bans chattel slavery um and, and so that part of their triangle trade goes away so now we've kind of got a little bit of a restructuring um and really within the world powers as well as england's really on a rise scott you mentioned the, their ability to hold on to their colonies, a lot of it due to their self-governance versus, uh, you know, Spain lost a lot of colonies. Portugal lost a lot of colonies. Portugal does not have the power that it once did coming into the seventeen They're not the international powerhouse that they were early on. Spain has lost a lot of their power, especially as uh, the English naval fleet has grown. The Spanish Armada has shrunk. So now really the, the world power at, at this point is England. England loses a battle to America. Uh, they lose the war, I'm sorry, and, and, and really I'm kind I'm skipping over the Seven Years War slash the, the, the French American War, as we call it, uh, so the French Indian War, uh, as we call it here in America. But you know at this point England really is number one. France is going through um, their revolution. Napoleon, hasn't quite come into power yet. And this is where we kind of see that, that gravitation towards Africa. And and, and when a Napoleon gets into power, he wants his place in Africa. English wants their place in Africa. Belgium wants their place in Africa as well. And that's where Scott talked about. We start carving up Africa, and and this is where we start extracting resources a little bit more on the English side of things. Because as you mentioned, England was was really more about sustainable trade uh, up until that point, and, and basing it a lot of it on trading human beings, but now that you can't do that anymore, they are going to be less about self governance in some of their colonies, more about strict rule, more about forced human labor, and more about just extracting as much wealth as they can for the crown as humanly possible.
0: So yeah, the American Revolution I think is the turning point for England and their and and how they view. The way to get things done because the way the english were working is they were working similar to the roman empire where the roman empire was very much hey you're jewish you want to remain jewish be august uh you want to worship this tree okay yeah you, you go you go for it and what's funny about the american experience is is that i don't know that in standard U.S. history classes that we were ever taught to look at this from the English point of view. Because when you look at it from the English point of view, this makes perfect sense. Okay, number one, you mentioned the French and Indian War, seven years, lasted seven years. They send troops over here. Troops cost money. They have to eat. They have to be supplies. We have to pay them. And the way the king is looking at it, said, we're sending over troops to protect you because you're English subjects. So doesn't it make perfect sense that the king would sit there and say, you know, maybe y'all can chip in a little bit. And when I say chip in a little bit, the Americans weren't paying nearly the tax rate that people in Britain were. So, I mean, they act like, you know, they're they're just onerous. And you, you think of it today, And this is where, and I think what's fascinating is if we wanted to take this down a different road, we could look at, you know, why are Americans so anti-tax? Well, that's kind of our history. It's kind of our history is built on it because the whole idea of, gee, I should pay for a stamp? Gee, I want to drink tea. I, I should pay a tax for tea. Well, now we pay taxes on virtually everything and we pay you know double triple taxes, so it's funny kind of looking at the colony- uh the colonists and looking at their reaction to things because you know if we look at it through a different prism, they were being completely unreasonable oh absolutely
1: absolutely they're they're very much the the tea party libertarians of their day, right like I personally don't need a protection. Why should I have to pay for it? I live in this colony. um, My colony never technically bordered with this this conflict. I don't need it. Or, you know, whatever it is, it's a very personal, selfish view of their country, right? Because at that point, they are part of England. So it's a very selfish point of view. But also, again, from the American perspective, they hadn't, many of those people had been born in the American colonies. They'd never stepped foot in England. They didn't see themselves as English. And that's part of the problem with this empire that the English had set up of you've been ruling this place for 150 years. They've never been to London. They've never seen the King. They've never had anything to do with it. All they've ever done is pay their tax every year and, and move on. And so that's why, you know, after the American, revolution and and really the war of 1812 as well england is more hands-on and they're more hands-on in a big big way uh and it's it's brutal they they go to war the the boer war in in africa with with some of the native tribes out there um and you know tribes probably the wrong word but either way england becomes a lot more brutal a lot more bloody but they romanticize it you know there's um There's books written about people going to Africa, and there's I can't God, this is gonna drive me crazy because he was in, uh, he's one of the mean uh, something quarter Alan Quarterman Quarterman or Quarterberry, uh, one I think it's Alan Quarterman becomes a very famous character in English literature, and he's a guy who's an African Boer War guy, and it's it's become romanticized to go to Africa into the wild to make your fortune to make something of your family, and it's. As the English do during that time period, the Victorian time period, they romanticized the shit out of going over there and just pillaging and taking advantage of people and taking every bit of wealth that the land can have. And and, and if you look at South Africa today, it's still going up. Look at the De Beers company. You know, you, Scott, you mentioned the way that the Spanish flooded the market with gold earlier. Well, the that was learned from diamonds aren't that rare. There's a giant pit of them in South Africa. the The De Beers Company is the only one who can get into that pit because they went over there and they bought they bought the land and they made something of their family, quote unquote, in the 1800s, and and that has changed the landscape of the world today. And oh, and and until someone. You know, assassinates those people and steals the land back for themselves. It's going to continue to be that way, and diamonds are going to continue to be outrageously sought after.
0: Drip, 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 drip. Yeah, they're not going to release them. You know, they're going to drip drip drip. Now, it's funny as is, is that, you know, so George Orwell. Uh, I'm sure you've read 1984, and you know, he's he's written many other things. He actually got his start. He was in the military. Uh, he was English in the military. He went over to India. I mean, he wrote a autobiographical story about having to kill an elephant uh, that was kind of rampaging around. And just, the, you know, the story around that and just I think how that directly affected him and affected his world view. Um it can be underestimated. So yeah, the, the English absolutely learned from the American experience. They absolutely they did not rule India the same way. They you know certainly didn't rule South Africa the same way or Australia uh, or Canada. I mean Canada officially, and this is what kills me is that King Charles is now is officially the king of Canada. has nothing to do with you know the Canadians no power whatsoever but it's just so funny to sit there and say here in 2023 they are still even loosely affiliated with the british i mean it's 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 hilarious on a certain level but the english real real quick scott
1: you mentioned something i want to we'll get back into this but i want to tap into that real quick because you mentioned the coronation of 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 king uh charles that happened this weekend he's now the king of, of canada as well as england I, I walked down, my dad had it on, and I was almost like, I was just in disgust. Like, why do I care? Why do we still have a freaking king? Why does anyone care? And my dad was offended. Like, oh, respect the pop, respect the history. Where, where are you? Because I, I think it's absolutely absurd that anyone gives a shit that this guy has the proper last name. So he gets to put a fancy
0: hat on and sit on an old chair. You know, it seems to me, over 200 years ago, we fought this whole big war, so I don't have to give yeah. a shit.
1: why are we <laughs> here?
0: Um, I, the funniest mug I saw was, there was a picture of Camille on it, and basically the message was is that she gives hope to side chicks everywhere. Um, and that's just hilarious. I mean, to me, I mean, just the comments of it. You know, he's 73 years old, and he's finally gotten a job. You know, I mean, just, you know, All these things, you know, hey, if you like royalty, if you want to watch that stuff, it's like anything else. Um, I saw, you know, this whole thing about people um, buying a house that had like a Satan symbol carved in the wood. And so they're going inside, they're bringing priests, they're bringing all these holy people, they're sprinkling all this, you know, holy water and putting a Bible in the ground. You, You know, okay. you do what you want to do, right? Just, you know, I should not have to be subjugated to it if I don't want to. So I'm not going to laugh at people who care, but I should not be forced to care. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Couldn't couldn't agree with you more. And it was all over the news. It was everywhere, but... Let's get back to what you're saying. You just, you mentioned the king. I had to get that. I had to let our listeners know I'm anti-monarchy, period.
0: So basically we're at the point that just to drive home the point is that the English maintain longer control than just about anybody else. And, and you can see the little effects of it. Like I, I mentioned when we went to the Cayman Islands, uh, Grand Cayman, you know, during one of our cruises, our bus was driving, I'll say it, on the wrong side of the road. It's like, huh, why are we doing this? Oh well, it must have been a British colony, so you know just the little things it, it makes it so interesting i, I think you know we're kind of uh we want to save a little bit for next week um uh, so I don't know if you want to, to I think get- next
1: week I want to get into more of the causation fallout, so I think we've 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 kind of laying out the history of of it right now and and I do want to take it up to World War one. I do think that's where things really start to fall apart for England you know when when England starts using their colonies as just uh I don't know draft factories to be <laughs> able to to send cannon fodder to the front line that was really when things started to fall apart for England on on the whole colonization thing.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good, you know, a good stopping point for, you know, and, you know, throw that in for next week. I think that's a great idea. I think, you know, it's about time for, because you know, we have twice the scumbags that we owe some people. So I'm going to let Tim fire first. Who do you got uh, on the docket?
1: Man, there's so many, so, 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 so many people that I want to put on the docket. But I think I'll, I'll start first. I, I got to go Greg Abbott. I I really I really do have to go Greg Abbott. You know, he has made everything he can about the border. And you know, we were going to talk 2 weeks ago about the the mass the shooting that happened where Abbott, you know, referred to the people that were killed as illegals. And he made a huge deal on the fact that these were illegals that were killed and you know, they were not illegals in the first place. In the second place, where is Greg Abbott the day after the shooting in Allen, Texas? He's at the he's at the border talking about increasing border security. This guy is such a giant piece of shit. He he doesn't get it. He absolutely doesn't get it. And I'm I'm just really sad that we're at a point where this is the leadership that we have. You know, I I spent some time, Scott, I researched which one of my representatives took money from the NRA, and I, I called every single one of their offices on Monday. And I asked every single one of the people that answered the phone, how can you work here? How can you work from someone who uh, is, is profiting off these deaths? And and I asked that to now everybody who works in, in Governor Abbott's office. How can you honestly work for this man and, and, and not hate every bit of your life. I I can't imagine working for that. I mean, scumbags, a giant piece of rolling shit. You work for this guy and why? At what point do you look in the mirror and just hate what you see?
0: We're going to have a first time this has happened in the history of our show. Tim absolutely swept under me and stole my scumbag. (laughs) Stop. Stop. Okay. We posted a picture yesterday that really
1: set me off, Scott.
0: Well, let me let me add in a little bit of something about uh, about Greg Abbott before I I, I throw out and I, I do a curveball on mine. Um, he released a tweet. I can't remember when this was. I've I, it's, it's come up recently because we have receipts where he said, we are second in the country in gun sales to california this is unacceptable we need to pick it up to me i think the state of texas in terms of its gun laws has only one place to go they only have one place to go tim i want you to get ready for this it's going to be called compulsory carry what they're going to do is they're going to arrest you if you're not carrying so maybe you and i could be levied a fine Maybe you and I could be, you know, sent down to Huntsville to where you know orange is the new black. Don't know, but I, I, that's the only place they can go. They can't go anywhere else. I mean, it, it's it's already ridiculous beyond that point. But okay, you made me pick a new scumbag. So Fox News, and it was one of the it, it was one of the commentators, and I was looking for it and I couldn't find it, and it's it pissing me off, but. He said he was driving into work, and he saw some illegals sifting through the garbage. Undocumented immigrants sifting through the garbage. I saw that. I saw that. And one of one of his co-hosts said, "Well, how did you know they were illegal?" I can just tell. God, what a scumbag! And and that's basically the same thing Greg Abbott did. He just, you know. And, and the funny thing about that is that it it's not even how offensive it is to assume somebody's undocumented when they're not. That's offensive all on its own. But what's offensive to me about it is the fact that that has nothing to do with the freaking problem. The fact that that any of them were undocumented. Okay, the shooter may have been undocumented. Well, we're going to make a big deal over why he's in the country. Well, I'm going to make a big deal. It's how do he get a fucking gun? How do he get eight guns or whatever he was? He's shooting off an AR-15 for like minutes at a time. They just went over to his house and said, hey, bud, our baby's trying to sleep. You know, can you help a brother out? You know, just kind of knock this off for a little bit. And so he shoots them. The damn motherfucker shoots them. And what do we take from this? Well, must have been illegal. That has nothing to do with anything. Okay, so I think uh we've both hit one scumbag, so I'm gonna give you one more one more scumbag to make up for last week.
1: Are you are you hitting us with it or is it
0: uh, I was going to let you go to the third, and then I'll follow you up.
1: Okay. My bad. I'm sorry. I, I misheard you. Um, I'm going to go with with the Texas legislation as my, as my second scumbag. Now, they finally did something good today, and they did pass um, some legislation to, to, in the House, at least, to, to raise the gun age from 18 to 21. It took way too long, but congrats. But before that, a Texas Democrat tried to... Introduce a bill that would turn anyone third grader or over essentially into a combat medic. And they would have to learn how to treat gunshot wounds. These would be taught to students. And for some reason, someone thought that was a better idea. A Democrat thought that was a better idea than actually just banning certain types of weapons. We should teach nine and ten-year-olds how to dress bullet wounds. It's, it's absolutely disturbing the the thought processes that happen. And, you know, Scott, you mentioned earlier the Abbott wants everybody to carry. After what happened, you know, this weekend in Allen, I, there literally was a moment where I was like, fuck, do I need to buy a gun? Like, is that where we're at? Do I need a gun to protect my family? This This is happening in places we frequent. Allen, Texas is not a place that you would think something like this would happen. I don't know if you've ever been here. Um, but then I almost felt sick and it's like, this is what they want. This is what the Republicans want you to think of, oh my God, my first response needs, I need more guns. And it, it, and it almost was like for that second of like, are they, did they get me for that second where it's like, oh, I need, I need a gun, but that's not the answer. More guns is never the answer. And obviously I didn't go out and buy a gun. and, And I realized very quickly, Hey, this is, this is not the right thought process. This is what they want you to think. But that's, that's how they're going to treat this. They're going to come back and they're going to say, because I don't know if you know this, that's a gun-free zone. That Allen Shopping Center is a gun-free zone. You can't open carry out there. So they're going to come back and say, if Joe Schmo was allowed to open carry, this never would have happened. We needed more guns out there. And that's what's wrong with the Texas legislator. Moving it from 18 to 21, congrats. That's so fucking minimal. It's something, but it's just a reactionary response to say, we did something. You did the bare frickin' minimum, and you did it too late. You have, you have the wrong ideas, and you've had the wrong ideas, and you refuse to do what actually needs to happen. Texas is, is worse than, than when it was the Wild West. There was more gun control in the OK Corral than there is in Houston, Texas, and it's frickin' ridiculous. So Texas legislature, you all take money from the NRA. You're all scumbags.
0: Okay. So just to to pay off on what Tim was talking about, because I actually uh, sent this his way, that is House Bill 1147 that we, he was talking about just now. Uh, and, and here's my thing. Um, if I would have thought that that would have happened anywhere in the Metroplex, because I, I did live there for about five years going to school up there, I thought Grand Prairie was going to be the, the place where that would happen. I mean, Grand Prairie is kind of a... That's my uh, old stomping
1: grounds. That's where my team was located.
0: Yeah, Grand Prairie is kind of, it, 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 kind of a sketchy little part of town. But you that know, there's
1: it's a, Arlington. There's some parts of Arlington that are scary as well that are not
0: near the stadiums. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right there. You're you're right on the money. Here's what I think the Democrat is thinking. I don't think that they want this to pass. What I think she, uh, he or she was thinking, because I don't know exactly who put it up, and I didn't really look it up because. Uh, it's just a despicable blow, and no, it's not going to go anywhere. Here's the problem: you are not going to motivate the other side by shaming them. They don't feel shame. They don't, because I've heard, I've seen this comment before on on you know social media and other places. Well, if one of theirs were shot, that they would change their tune. No, they're not. Scalise from Louisiana, who himself was shot by a, a gun nut. Is he changing his vote? No. No. So the whole thing is, and, and, and this is what I call, you know, performant performative politics is what I call this. We're gonna shock people into doing the right thing. I don't know. Let's just do the right thing. Let's just try the old-fashioned way. I get I get this way when people talk about, hey, Let's let's, you know, switch over to the Republican primary and vote in this knuckle dragger and then our Democrat will surely win. That sounds great until your Democrat doesn't win. Now you got this knuckle dragger and it's representing you. So to me, instead of doing that, let's just figure out. Common sense stuff we can do. Okay, pardon me there. OK, my last come back. Melgan Trainer actually like her music. She's, she's she's a good artist. She is pregnant. She is going to have. Uh, I don't know exactly when she's due, but um, she is married to um, an actor of some renown. Uh, has been on some kids shows and whatnot. So if you count, you know, his his money and her money, you know, they're 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 living right. So she's decided that she's going to homeschool her kids. Okay, that's fantastic. You know, you do what you want to do. You live your best life, right? She gets on her podcast and she says, and I quote, "Fuck teachers." That's what she says. Now, apparently, her husband, her, her friend, who's also on the podcast, they had some negative experiences with teachers, and and I know you, Tim. I'm sure you had some teachers who were not your favorites. I, I had, had I
1: had one. I had one run in with one teacher my senior year, but that was it. And she was a fucking nut job. She kept bringing her cat to school. Oh, I think I may know who that was.
0: She's uh, got AP European history. I may, She may have sold my parents her cat, I think. Uh, but anyway, um, my government teacher was mine. Um, I just absolutely, I mean, she was like a way off the right end. And so during her evaluation, she actually called on me, you know, with the assistant principal in the room. Hey, Scott, can you give us the liberal point of view? It's like, you know, thanks for putting me on the spot here. And it's like, you know, we we took a political spectrum test and like she would sit there. Okay. You know, how far to the left do y'all think Scott is? And then, of course, a couple of students, he's a communist. It's like, damn it, you know. But my favorite was when she, um, I went to Washington, D.C. twice my senior year. Uh, I went for a program called Close Up and I went for our choir. We went, uh, the Choir went and performed. So, you know, I've, I've seen the sites. And she's sitting there, well, Kennedy was the first person, you know, first president to send troops to Vietnam. And I said, you know, that's kind of interesting. Cause the Vietnam Wall said 1958 to 1975. Can you tell me who was president in 1958? And she was like, "Damn it!" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, you, you, you know, you, you're just stupid. It's, it's okay. It's okay." But yeah, Megan Trainer, your wife's a teacher. I'm a teacher. So. I'll turn that around. Fuck you, Megan Trainer. You know, she gave a half-held apology. But you know what? Just because you had a bad experiences with teachers doesn't mean that all teachers or even a considerable amount of teachers are bad teachers. Most teachers are good people. We like kids. We want to do the best by kids. So, yeah, homeschool your kid. Knock yourself out. Pay for a private tutor. Do what you want to do. But you know, let's not downgrade and and denigrate a whole teaching profession because you had one or two bad teachers in your life.
1: It's, it's absolutely sickening for sure to say things like that, because I know what my wife does on a daily basis that goes just beyond regular teaching. You know, two of her students were in the choir, they said, "Hey, Miss Miss Costello, we'd really love if if you came to our choir performance." So what does my wife do? She stays after school and she goes to a choir performance because some of her students asked asked for her support. She didn't have to do that, but that's what being a good teacher is about. It's it goes so much further than what you write on a chalkboard. It, it's about showing support. It's about you know helping kids believe in themselves and become the best version of themselves. Um, and and and. Sure, like you said, go ahead and homeschool. But at the end of the day, you're you're missing out on the ability to learn because you know what, Scott? For I had, like I said, I had one bad experience with a teacher, and, and I, I to this day I just think this lady was a freaking nut job. Every other teacher, I have never had a negative experience. Without, I, I learned a lot. You know, I had one professor in college I didn't like. Um, but again, I, I didn't think he was bad at his job. I thought he needed to, to, to get with the time. This was a guy in 2010 who said it was improper for a gentleman to wear a hat inside so you couldn't wear a hat to his class. I'm like, yo, bro, you're teaching English Lit at 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm rolling out of bed, and I'm putting a hat on, and I'm coming to your class. Chill the hell out. So that was like the one professor I didn't like, and it's because of a hat rule. And I had a, an AP European studies teacher who tried to say I didn't turn in my final project when I literally had pictures of the project. And so I was like, "Yo, know, this, this definitely got turned in. But again, I don't hold a grudge against teachers. I think that lady was a nutbag. And I think that guy's rule was stupid. But nothing negative about the profession. I married a teacher. I love when she comes home and, and talks about, you know, her successes with students um, and Honestly, Scott, I love some of the juicy teacher gossip too. I know you get some of it, but but man, there you want to talk about some hot goss? Juicy teacher hot goss is fantastic.
0: You know, you mentioned your wife going to a choir concert. You know, actually, I don't know if you knew this at the time. You, you may not remember this, but when you were in high school, because you were graduating in 2008, right? So when you were been a freshman your sophomore year i was actually teaching at clear creek high school and so i remember uh, i taught you know i taught seniors and so one of the seniors sat there and said hey you know can you come to my volleyball game so like, yeah, yeah i'll come to your volleyball game and then she's like and can you root for us and it's like yeah i don't know Uh, I'm a late graduate, so that's going to be kind of a tall order there. But, you know, I'll come to your volleyball game, and I did. Um, So, yeah, and and I I got great teacher gossip. I could tell stories all, you know, all day long. But we're kind of running here to the end here. I know – I don't know if you have seen any what we now might call dumbassery because we used to call it the dumb tweet of the week, but I kind of realized about going over some old shows that – Very rarely have we actually quoted a tweet. So we'll just call it General Dumbassery. Have you seen any General Dumbassery?
1: I will, but I'm just going to real quick breaking news, absolutely breaking news. Martin Maldonado hit a home run. I I just – breaking news. It never happens. Guy hitting a buck 51. Yeah, it's I had to I had to break that out. But yeah, there's been some general jackassery uh, on the world of Twitter this week. Uh First and foremost from Malcolm P. Johnson. I'm sorry, Texas, but you reelected Greg Abbott and you thought somehow things would change. You reelected Greg Abbott and thought the mass shootings would magically go away. You had a chance to do something, but you reelected Greg Abbott and it wasn't even that close. First of all, fuck you, Malcolm P. Johnson. Second of all, it was pretty close, considering the state that we live in. And most of us who did not vote for Greg Abbott knew he wasn't going to fix things. And that's why we were devastated when he won again. So again, Malcolm P. Johnson, jackass.
0: Yeah, you sent me that tweet. And I actually wrote my, uh, my piece at Juanita Jeans on that today. Because, you know, to me, this, this, this deserves a little bit more. And that's my complaint with this. It's like, yeah, you can look at forty-three, forty-three, looks like a blowout. The Texans, you know, like guns, boom. No, no, there's a whole lot more going on with this. If you listen to our, you know, one of our first episodes, we talked about issue framing. Looked at another one of our early episodes, we talked about gaps. And this is one of those areas where we have it, is that we definitely have a gap in what people feel about guns, and what gets done about guns? And I and, and I think because what happens is, is that, you know, we get gerrymandering. We get, um, in terms of statewide offices, we, we get, you know, rules that keep certain people from voting. We have voter suppression. And then we have the Democratic Party, which I think Malcolm Johnson is a member of, that has done some absolutely stupid shit in the last 20 to 25 years in the state of Texas and that's what kills me is that republicans you know they'll come back and say oh we're not we can't do what we want to do and it's like you've controlled this state every day of this century what are you doing to me oh, we can't do what we want to do come on who are we trying to kid? but Michael johnson let's let's try to go a little deeper instead of just focus on this shit why Aren't people voting for the things they want for? Maybe that's a good question. Maybe the Democrats could look inside themselves, and it's like, where are we, you know, producing for the most part really horrible candidates for statewide office? Maybe we can ask that question. Yeah. Democratic messaging
1: is absolutely dog shit. Um, we talked about how you can't shame people in doing things. I don't think Democrats actually know how to shame anybody. I, I, I have to think if I, you know, I've looked into running for office before. and Unfortunately, it was a little bit more expensive just to be able to get your name on the ballot than I realized. So I was going to run for state house. And it's more than $1,000 just to get your name on the budget, and on the ballot, not on the budget. You can, you can pay for that through fundraising efforts, but you have to start the fundraising a lot earlier than I was able to do so. But if let's say I had the money to run for governor. I probably know I'm not going to win. But I am going to talk so much unbelievable shit to Greg Abbott on a daily basis. I will run my shit on every channel I can. And it's going to be horrendous. And it's going to be offensive. And it's going to make people cringe. But I'm going to get my point out. I'm going to say what I want to say about Greg Abbott. And I'm going to let people know what a giant rolling turd that he is. I don't know why... like. People look at what Trump did and how much shit he talked. It won in the freaking election. And it, it may have lowered the the level of rhetoric in this country, sure. But the guy won an ele- election on just purely talking shit.
0: Yeah, I, I've thought about running, and you talked about $1,000. It's like, well, when we get into our sports episode, I have to decide, do I want those new golf clubs, or do I want to run for the legislature? Literally, literally a decision I had to make, Scott. Literally, no, 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 so, but, but hey, stay tuned to Thursday's show. You'll hear us talk golf clubs. So just a I got time. one
1: more I got one more god awful tweet. This one's gonna hurt. This one's gonna hurt you a little bit. Let me preface you by saying that this tweet comes with a picture of Auschwitz. This is from Kathy McLaren. I don't condone Nazism but maybe the mustache man was on to something. We need to bring that tactic back, but not to the innocent Jews for following their religion, but on trans for following pedophilic lifestyles. Well, Kathy, those were the people that the quote unquote mustache man targeted on top of the Jewish community. And second of all, who the fuck thinks it's okay to contone termination of a sect of people and to put that opinion out there with a tweet, with your fucking picture attached to it. Who in the world, who in the world does that other than Kathy McLaren, whoever the fuck that is.
0: Okay. This is a, this is an audio medium. So I have to apologize here. If you could see me right now, I am cringing and my head started. to. I told
1: you it was going to hurt. I said, this
0: one's going to hurt a little bit. It it, that's, that's just rough, and 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 we've talked about this in the past, and I've you know written some stuff on this on one eight genes, and basically, here's my uh, here's my thing on trans. I've taught at this current campus for nine years, so we we have about fourteen hundred students. So I'm just going to go charitably on the conservative end. We probably had four or five thousand kids go through the doors, right? I could probably count on one hand the number of students who were absolutely um, outward trans. Five, right? So if you're doing your basic math, I think out of 5,000, five is 0.1%. 0.1%. Why are we flipping out over, you know, trans bathrooms or this kid's going to play girls sports? My daughter played junior volleyball from the age of 10 to the age of 15. I saw one boy who was very clearly a boy playing on a girl's team when she was 10 out of five years. OK, if you really are anti-trans, you know, you do what you want to do, but 0.1 percent. So you are going to flip out over a very minuscule part of the population. And, and then, in lieu of that, you know, then that's kind of one of the things that happened in Texas. We don't want to pass any gun laws because I, I need to vote for Jim Knuckle dragger Smith because, you know, he, he he's against trans. Well. 0.1%, folks. What do we do
1: You know, we had a talk about one of the tenets of fascism, Scott. Or not one of. We talked about the tenets of fascism in one of our episodes. And one of the tenets is you need a vulnerable population to blame. And we live in a world where you can't flat out say the Jews are a problem anymore. You can't say that. You can hint. You can allude to it. But you can't flat out just be anti-Semitic. Uh, and, and get away with it in today's world. You can come out and you can be flat out anti-trans and make that your whole personality. And you will not be canceled. You will not be taken away from the limelight. That can be your personality. That can be your stance. And so Nazis are going to Nazi. They need someone that they can vilify for the demoralization of our country. Everybody thinks we need more Jesus and and trans people are the reason we don't have enough Jesus. That is what they're saying. That is the comment. That is the push from the Republican Party because they can't come out and say black people are a problem. They can't come out and say Jewish people are a problem because you can't do that anymore. Times have changed. So now they found somebody new to vilify and it is the gay and trans community. And it is disgusting. And I am scared for them. And, um... You know, I, I know I would offer any support that I, I have available because it's it's scary enough to have to go through that thought process unhappy with who you are physically uh, and to have people trying to hurt you or want to kill you because you want to change your life for what you feel is the better um, is really sad and, and disgusting.
0: So, Tim, I think we've kind of come to that time where we, you know, we... You want to start wrapping things up, so you know. Want to think? We actually got our first comment on our show this week. Thanks, mom. Um, yeah, I was going to leave at the who, you know, to make it, but but she actually uh, you know found something that was wrong uh, with my presentation, and hopefully we fixed it, and and that's you know going to make our show better so if you have any comments for us if you have any ideas if you have any people that you'd want to hear from or if you just want to sit there and say hey you know this opinion that you said is absolutely stupid like us on facebook comment to us you know reach out on twitter you know give us a jingle so in that vein tim where can the people find you
1: for now they can find me on twitter tim underscore costello 10 um, honestly, not sure how much longer I am going to be on the Twitter machine. Um, it is a Nazi cesspool. But for now, I am wading through.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of there with you. Um, I'm at S. Barzilla. Um, I'm, I'm on the S. S Barzilla on the Twitter machine. But I'm also writing uh, political commentary at 180 Jeans under a pseudonym. And I'm also writing Texans commentary at battle red blog so uh kind of engage with us thank you for joining us this week you know thank you for being part of the snack hook movement and family and we hope that you have a great rest of the week we know that you
1: will and again as scott said we appreciate you joining us uh whether it's your listeners to us when we first come out on wednesday or or maybe you're mowing the lawn on a saturday with a uh cold beer in the hand and the mower and another one uh we were glad we we're able to make that time pass for you. But be sure, like Scott said, hit us up on the Facebook, uh, the Snap Hook podcast, like us, follow us, become part of that movement. Thank you again to all of our listeners, and we will see you next time on the Snap Hook. Thank you for tuning in to the Snap Hook, and... Scott and I a part of your week wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl and this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snap Hook movement We look forward to seeing you next week on Snap Snap Hook